morning. So open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. I love seeing baptisms. I really love what God's doing in our, um, in our youth ministry, student ministry, and in, among our young adults, other places too. But, boy, God's working in those areas, and I'm delighted we can participate. If you're watching online, we want to welcome you. And if you're a guest, we're glad you're here today as well. I, uh, I'm doing, my wrist is fine. I just had a surgery repair some tendons. I've been a cast for a few weeks, but I'm feeling fine and just don't let me uh, bump into you. Uh, but I, we're in 2 Timothy. It's what a great passage. The, just two verses, but this second verse is a verse that I committed to memory long ago. God's used in my life many times in many ways. It's been, uh, uh, you know, it's just kind of critical for my own life and ministry. So let's read 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. Let's read together. The Bible says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. The Bible says, be diligent. Now, being diligent means to do your best, in fact, some translations will use that word, do your best. Give your all, stay at it. To do your best, to give your all, to stay at it. That's what it means to be diligent. And this is for everyone. Now, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy's a minister. Paul's a minister, and he's talking to Timothy about the kind of role he's going to have in the kingdom of God. But it wasn't just Paul who wrote this letter. The Bible tells us God the Holy Spirit gives us this it's, from him. We're going, to see, we're going to see in chapter 3 that Scripture is inspired by God himself, that God is literally God-breathed. And so God gave us these words, and he gave them to us, not just to Timothy, but to us. And he did it for a reason. And you say, I'm going to talk about ways to be diligent in ministry. You say, well, that's not for me. I'm not a ministry. We, we use this saying a lot in our church. We say, every member is to be a minister. Every member is to be a minister. Now, we're not saying every member is a pastor, not every member is a career missionary, not every member is, has the role of teaching in our church, but every single person who names the name of Christ has been called by God, gifted by God, and charged by God to be involved in service and ministry. Every single believer. And so I want to talk with you about being diligent in the ministry God has for you, what that looks like, what that means to do your best, to give your all, and to stay at it. Let's note four ways to be diligent ministry. Let's follow along. You can write these notes down if you're watching online. If you'll just write these four principles down here in person, let's note these principles together. Principle number one, way to be diligent in ministry. Number one, remember what matters. Remember what matters. Verse 14 says, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. Well, what are the these things that Timothy is to remind them of, the people he's involved in ministry with? Well, things like in this chapter, uh, verse 1, we talked about how, what it means to be strong in grace. The Bible tells us to be strong in grace. That God's deep love for us changes everything. And that we're, we find our strength in knowing God loves us even though we live in this fallen, broken world. We're reminded to teach others, to teach others as well. In verse 2, we're to teach others who teach others. You may remember we have that four generations, how Paul taught Timothy, Timothy's to teach others, who will teach others, and how we're to multiply ministry, and how we're to teach others to teach others. We want people to come to know Christ as Savior and to grow in their faith. We saw in verses 3 through 7 how we're to serve like a soldier. Soldiers teach us about service. 
or compete like an athlete or to work like a farmer expecting the harvest. We are to, re to remind ourselves of verses 8 through 13. If you hear last week, we talked about how we're to focus on Jesus, not our circumstances, not our culture, not our problems, not our wishes or wants, but to focus on Jesus himself. And when we focus on Jesus, everything else comes into perspective. And so verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, remind them of these things. Now, why does he say remind them of these things? Because there is the danger we will forget. There's the danger we will forget. It's one of the reasons why we need the church. Because we remind, each, we remind ourselves of these things. So if you're watching online, don't just like have it. If it's just on, the back, on in the background and you're doing other things, it's not the same. It's just not. If you're in a worship service and your mind's a million miles away, it's not the same. And we have a responsibility to remind ourselves of these truths of the gospel. Now, some of you are brand new to faith and you're just, you don't know what you don't know, or you're considering faith and you're just learning about things. You've never heard the stories of the Bible. But there are some of you here who have been around the faith for a long, long time. There are some here who have grown up around the things of God all their life, and you've read the Bible many, many times, and you've read this passage that I'm speaking of many times, maybe like me long ago, you even committed it to memory. Man, we're delighted for you to know those things, but we have to remind each other of these things. It's not that we don't know. It's that we have the danger of forgetting, and it's an easy thing to happen. And so Paul says to Timothy, I want you to remind them, and the Holy Spirit says to us, I want you to remind them because we are in danger always of forgetting. So it's inconvenient to have a hand in a cast and my, you know, I'm right-handed, fortunately, it helps a little bit, but buttoning things can be a little more difficult, not, not too bad, but these little buttons on my collar, you know, that, that's, a, that's hard. And so I, last Sunday, I said, I'm, I'm going to button those before I put my shirt on. That'll make it a little easier. I just can't get my left hand to work. You, you kind of use both hands when you're buttoning things somewhat, and so I can do it okay, but those little, the little ones are the hard ones there. And so I worked and worked, and I'm telling you, early Sunday morning, really early, dark, still, and um, I, I mean, 10 minutes, maybe 12 minutes, I couldn't get it forever. I'm not a quitter, and I stayed at it, and I finally, you know, worked and worked. I mean, my hand, it makes your fingers really sore. Anyway, I, I know some of you are in jobs where you get, I get paper cuts, sore fingers. These, these are, it's a challenge to be a pastor. It's a lot of hard, hard things. So I finally got it buttoned. I was so proud of myself, and I put my shirt on, only to discover I had buttoned it to the big button here at the neck. You know, I just made that mistake. I don't know if you, that's why I couldn't get it. So I had to undo it again. And Well, this week, I reminded myself of what I had done the week before. And so I didn't make the same mistake again. I reminded myself that we're in danger always. The reason the Bible says remind them of these things is because we have a tendency as fallen, frail human beings to forget the things of God to forget that we need to be strong in grace, not our own strength, but his strength. Or remember to serve like a soldier. Remember to expect the harvest like a farmer, compete like an athlete. Or, I mean, those things, we remind each other. We gather in life groups to study the Bible, or we gather in worship to remind ourselves of what it is that matters. Because we're always in danger of forgetting what matters. And we can begin to think, that what really matters are the things that won't matter one minute after time has ended, but there are some things that will matter for eternity itself. There's a second principle I'd like you to write down if we're going to be diligent. Number two, don't fight the wrong battles. Don't fight the wrong battles. 
The Bible says in verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. Now you military types have an advantage. I have not been in the military. We civilians are so thankful to be around you heroes. We are. We're grateful for you. On this Veterans Day, I want to say how thankful I am personally for you, how much I appreciate it, how much joy is brought to my heart to be in a military community and just to be able to be around people who have such skills and abilities and talents and hard work. And you know something more about fighting um, than I do. And you know that there are some battles that you have to fight, but not every, not every hill is a hill on which to die. Sometimes, I mean, some hills you say, man, this is worth everything, but not every hill. Because we're, we fight for truth and not for trivialities. The Bible says, charge them. This is a strong word, charge them before God not to fight about words. That's, he's not just saying like, you know, hey, no big deal if they do or they don't. He's saying charge them before God. Make the, this is serious, Timothy. Tell them not to fight about words. My parents used to have a saying. They had a lot of the old-fashioned sayings. They said, sometimes they say, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Have you ever heard that? You know, moles make little hills. I mean, if you're from Colorado or something, <laughs> we're not talking about a mountain. That's a mountain in Colorado or New Mexico or Mole hills are just little, little mounds that mole makes. And they were saying when they said that to us, don't make, don't make this bigger than it is. If it's a small thing, let it be small. But we, that's not the way we tend to do it. Social media just feeds this. Everything's a mountain in social media. Everything's the greatest. Every hill is a hill on which you should die in social media. And pretty soon you begin to think that way and, and we, we can argue about everything. You know, if you argue about everything, you're argumentative, right? I mean, if you're constantly fighting, that's a bully. So we pick our battles wisely. The, the military understands there. Sometimes you say about this hill, you say, we have to keep this hill at all hazards to the last man. But you don't say that about every single hill along the way. And so Paul says, don't fight about words. We're going to stand for truth, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's just note a couple things here. Note first, don't pick the wrong fight. Don't fight about words. We fight about principles, the truth. We stand on the big things, of course, but not everything. We don't waste energy. Paul said, this is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. It's useless, he says, to do this. He's saying, don't waste your energy. Man, so much energy expended in social media about really small things. Don't waste your influence. Believer, if you're fighting about everything, you'll have no influence left. Don't waste, even more importantly, don't waste your life. And many people are living a useless life because they're fighting the wrong battles for the wrong things in the wrong way. And then he tells us it leads to ruin. It leads somewhere. It leads to the ruin of those who listen, verse 14 says. It leads to the ruin of those who listen. Not only is it bad for us when we're argumentative about everything, but we're also, it's bad for others. So there's an old story about a, a guy in Europe, you know, had a cat, he owned a castle. He was a castle owner, whatever that would be called. And he, he was um, going to be gone for a long time. And he said to the guys who kept up the castle, he said, I, I, want, a, I want to have a, a, a fence all the way around the castle, a fence all, you know, all the way around the entire castle. And so he 
was gone. He left for a long time. When he came back to his dismay, well, he found out, first of all, I mean, good news, the fence is there. But to his dismay, they had torn down the castle to use the rocks to build the fence. And this has happened in life after life after life, where we tear down the things that matter most. We forget the principles that are most important. We don't stand for the truth. We end up building walls about everything else. So the Bible says here, don't fight the wrong battles. Principle number three, serve for God's approval. And I said verse 15 is a verse I committed to memory long ago. It's been meaningful to me. And it reminds me that, that service is for God's approval. Let's, let's read the text itself. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. Notice it says we're to do what we do. Ministry is to be done for the right reason. Present yourself to God. He didn't say, Timothy, present yourself to the church or present yourself to your friend. He says, You're, you stand before God. The motive of doing ministry, he's saying, is God, to glorify him. Why, why you do what you do as a believer ought to be to the glory of God. God cares about what you do, but he also cares about why you do it. He cares about what you do, but he also cares about why you do it. Do it for the right reason. The motive is to glorify God and do it in the right way. He says, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. So he's saying, you're doing this for God's approval, not for man's. Not for man's. The goal is not the approval of people. Not even your own approval. Not the approval of a, of a, a father or mother who could never be pleased with you. Not the approval of the crowd. The crowd often gets things wrong in life, you know. Not, the, not even your own self-approval, but for the approval of God. Now, God approves you in the sense that the moment you trust Him as Savior, He forgives you of your sins, but He wants you to do the right thing. He disciplines us when we do wrong because He wants us to do right. And we want to do what we do for the right reasons to give glory to God and for His approval. And the Bible says, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. So I'm supposed to do my best. That's why I memorized this verse long ago. I'm supposed to do my best. I'm, I'm not, if I didn't do my best, if I had shoddy workmanship, this is really a word that's used here often for like a farmer or something who maybe is not working hard or lazy and they don't have the harvest they need. He's saying, do the work that needs to be done for the glory of God and do it to the best of your ability. Do it in the right way so that you don't have to stand before God ashamed. So I remember kind of learning this principle in a sense when I was in uh, freshman in college long years ago. And we're, I was at a football chapel, and the, one of the seniors on the football team was speaking at the chapel. And he said he wanted, he, he wanted to encourage us to have the right motives for what we did. And he said, you really ought to play, he said, for an audience of one, for an audience of one. So he's saying what you're doing, what our our playing is really is not for our self-glory, should not be for our self-glory, or to please our coaches, who are sometimes difficult to please, or our teammates, as much as we cared about them and each other, or even the fans who came, or even for ourselves. But we ought to do our best for the glory of God. Just for the glory of God. He's the if no one else in all the world saw. We ought to do what we do for the glory of God. Now, that resonated with me. 
And I thought how often I found myself playing for other reasons, self-glory or for the coaches or teammates or fans. Or What if I thought, what if I saw it differently? It says for the audience of one. Some of you may remember Lee Leininger. He's gone on to be with the Lord long years ago now, but his son is Skip Leininger, who's our associate pastor here. And some of you know Skip. And Lee, if, you, if you've been here long enough, you might remember Lee and Maggie Leininger. Just, man, what a great couple. So Lee was on the pastor search team that called me here more than a quarter century ago. It sounds more dramatic if I say it that way, a quarter century ago. And Lee was incredibly supportive. I mean, he loved his pastor, and he just was, supported me in every way. And just, uh, you know, just the kind of friend, a pastor. And our church, FBCO as a whole, just has really been supportive as, of me and our church. But uh, he was just, you know, led the charge in that. So years, this is years ago. Years ago, we were talking to some guy who has since gone on to be with the Lord. I won't tell you the story. It's irrelevant anyway, but... Suffice it to say, the guy was upset because in the service he was providing in the church, the ministry he was in in the church, he felt underappreciated. You know, nobody, I mean, he did a lot. He did, to his credit, he did a lot. And he just didn't feel appreciated. And he felt noticed or recognized or thanked. And so, man, I just, you know, I thanked him. I just wanted him to know how much I appreciated all he did. I thanked him and, you know, on and on. Um, Lee was, could be a little direct. I mean, he was really, he, he could say things, um, you know, kind of cut to the chase. And he said, he said these words. He said, you better do what you do for the Lord. Now, he's speaking to the guy. You better do what you do for the Lord. But he's speaking to me, too. He was speaking to me too. He was saying to the guy, listen, if you're doing this for the praise of man or to get a thank you, listen, what, and, and, and as much as I want you involved in ministry, if you're involved in ministry so that people say thank you, at some point, as much as we want to thank you, at some point we're going to forget to say thank you. If you're doing it to please people, at some point it won't please everybody. Ministry will not always be happy and pleasant and joyful. Not every moment of it is. No matter what ministry you get involved in, no matter how you serve the Lord, it won't always be easy. People won't always respond as they ought. You better do what you do for the Lord. I think, God, that just kind of got in my heart. And I realized, man, I better not be trying to serve for, the, for me, for the praise of people, for the circumstances, but it better be for the glory of God. And when you get that right, the guys, it seems to me, who stay faithful and productive in ministry are the people who get this right, the ones who get this right. I'm doing this for the glory of God. And if no one else in all the world ever notices anything, quite frankly, some ministries are awfully behind the scenes and people, you don't get as much thank and you don't get recognized as much. And sharing the gospel with someone at work, we, you know, not everybody sees that or caring about someone in some way that God puts on your heart or maybe some of the ministries that... And spiritual gifts that God gives are more behind the scenes. But when you do it for the glory of God, that's what matters. And that's what counts. And that's what lasts. There's a fourth principle I'd like you to know. How to be diligent in ministry. And that's to uh, teach the truth well. 
teach the truth well. Would you write that down in your notes? Teach the truth well. Verse 15 says, be diligent. There's that word, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. But I want to focus on these last words, correctly teaching the word of truth, correctly teaching the word of truth. And so you can understand a little of why I tried to memorize this verse long ago, because that was, I knew God had put me in this role of teaching the word of truth. And so I wanted to learn to do it well. I wanted to remind myself of the importance of it. Let's note three things about teaching. First, let's note where to teach accurately. The Bible says correctly teaching the word of truth. Correctly teaching the word of truth. We don't just teach whatever we feel like. Or what, we don't teach what the, we wish the Bible said, what the culture says the Bible ought to say. We want to teach what the Bible does say. What does God say? We want to be accurate about what God says. We want to be accurate about what the Lord is teaching, not just what people want to hear, not what the culture is, what's popular at the moment in the culture. That changes all the time. But what does God have to say? We want to teach correctly. We want to do things like get the context, the context of the passage to really understand what the Bible itself is saying. Being out of context could be something like this. Some of you have heard this old story. This guy decided he was just going to try to get a word from the Lord. He just said, I'll just open the Bible, put my finger on it, and kind of try to do what it says. And he opened up his Bible, he put his finger on it, and said, uh, Judas hanged himself. And I thought, well, what kind of phrase is that? You know, I'll try it again. And so he opened it again and put his finger on it and read and said, go thou and do likewise. It just felt, you know, weird. Uh, well, that's how some people kind of approach the Bible. Just, I'm going to just, like a little phrase. I, I want you to learn the context. What is the Bible saying in context? That's why we want you to read the Bible for yourself. I want you to read the entire New Testament the entire, that's 27 books, the entire New Testament for yourself many, many times. Start with the book of John, maybe, one of the Gospels. Start with that book of John, read through it. Maybe then read a book like Romans or um, the book like Philippians, a little short book. Or maybe read the book of Acts then. It's the story of the early church. And just read through the entire New, New Testament many times. And over time, you begin to get the context of the New Testament. And then the Old Testament as well. Eventually, you begin to get the context of the Bible as a whole. You begin to see over, over time, over a long period of time, how all the pieces begin to fit together. And you begin to understand God's Word more accurately. It's one of the reasons we study the Bible in our life groups together. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, the Bible says. And we can sharpen each other. We can begin to uh, encourage each other to think more deeply and to maybe look a little more closely and to understand what God is saying. We want to teach accurately. Secondly, we want to teach actively. We want to teach actively. The Bible tells us to correctly teaching the word of truth. We're not passive. Paul didn't say, Timothy, you know, I mean, this is no big deal or anything, but if you get time, if it ever happens, if someone ever asks you a question... No, he's saying you be active in this, not passive. Correctly teach the Word of God. Be involved in it. Far too many, far too many Christian fathers are passive about their children learning the things of God, and mothers as well. Passive about it. You know, I kind of hope they learn about the Bible, but man, you take an active role in your, the teaching of your children about the things of God. Read the Bible with them at night. Do some devotions together as a family. Ask them what they learned at church. You know, they'll go on and on about the sermon. They just get fat. Those little kids especially love those, my long sermons. They just want it longer. Kids are always saying to me, can you just preach longer, Pastor Doug? That's such a common theme. Well, ask them some questions. Find out what they learned about in their life group. Talk about it together. Be active and not just passive. 
the, the, the analogy that we think of when it comes to Christianity is so often wrong about this. So we think of, we think of it like this. We think of the, we're like in a big stadium, like at a sporting event, and we're watching, you know, those ministers down on the field doing the job, and we're just watching them and, you know, clapping or booing, whatever the case may be. Don't clap, but we really don't want you to boo. And so we just watch that, they're doing it. That's a terrible analogy. We're the ones on the field, Christian. If you name the name of Christ, we're the ones on the field. You know why God gives you spiritual gifts? Not just so you have them, but so you use them. So he's gifted you, he's prepared you, he's challenged you so that you will use your gifts to be involved, actively involved, not passively. We don't just like listen and we are active. The faith is an act of faith. God wants you to put it into practice. We learn about faith, not just so we know more, but so we live that faith out actively, not passively. Teach accurately, teach actively, and teach, number three, teach authoritatively. Teach authoritatively. So the Bible says, correctly teaching the word of truth. I love that phrase, word of truth. This is not just the opinions of some people who lived a long time ago. This is the word of truth. Not just a truth, the truth. Boy, are we countercultural here where our culture says there's no such thing as truth, and if there is, it's just my truth or your truth. The Bible says there is such a thing as truth, and it is, it is absolutely uh, uh, objective. It never changes. And the Lord teaches us the truth and tells us the truth. By the way, we're going to get to chapter 3 eventually, and when we do one day, we're going to see the Bible tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God, or all Scripture is literally God-breathed, that this is God's Word, not just the words of man, but the words of God, and that we need to know what God says. Wouldn't you like to hear what God says, not just the opinions of people, or not just your own feelings, or not what you like? People do that all the time. I think this. I've, great. What's the basis of your thinking or your feeling? Well, God tells us the truth, and He wants that to be the basis of our thinking or feeling. And so, the Lord wants us to teach the word of truth. In um, February, we're going to do a series called This Is Us. And it's uh, in, our, in the membership class, I always teach these five kind of directives for our church. We say this is who we are. And one of those five things is we say we are Bible-based. So in our life groups, we'll study it. In our worship services, those five weeks, hope you'll participate. I mean, it's kind of a reset for a church to say, this is who we are, and this is why we do what we do, and this is why we're going this direction, and this is what we believe we should be about. And one of those five is Bible-based. We say we're Bible-based. We don't want to be culture-based. Culture changes all the time. We want to be relevant to the culture. We want to reach the culture. We don't want to be feelings or opinion-based. Our feelings can be affected by a million things, and your opinions are no better than my opinions, and mine no better than yours, except as they're for, informed by the word of truth. We want to say, what does God say? What does God want? And I tell you what, in that culture, it's hard to hear what God wants. We hear what everyone else in all the world thinks. What does God have to say? And we want to be, we want to, we want to know the word of truth. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, and the Holy Spirit is saying to me, and the Holy Spirit is saying to you, correctly teach the word of truth. When you teach your children, when you share the gospel with someone else at work or school or home, or when you, or if you're called to that ministry of teaching in the church, you teach, correct, correctly teach that word of truth. Because there's a power to it. A power to it. A strength to it. So the Bible says, be diligent in this. Be diligent. 
Do your best. Give your all. Stay at it. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Now, as we pray, if you're, some of you are watching this online or you're here in person, and the truth is you need to be saved. You've never been born again. You've never trusted Christ as Savior. You've known about things of God, perhaps, but the Lord tells us, His Word tells us, we need more than reform. We need a relationship with God that comes through salvation in Jesus Christ. Would you give your life to Christ, repent of your sins, and place your trust in Jesus who died for you and rose from the, from the dead for you? Ask Him to save you. Commit your life to Him, and He will. He'll save you. And some of you Christians are here uh, listening and the Lord speaking to you about changing something in your life, removing something from your life, or adding something to your life, correcting something. And I want you to be sensitive to what He wants. But can I encourage you, those of you who know Christ as Savior today, to be diligent, to do your best, to give your all, to stay at it, to do what we do for His glory, not for ours, but for His. It'll change everything, how we serve, how we give, how we act, how we think, if we're doing it for His glory. To be diligent. Maybe for some of you, just to say, God, I've never really seen, I've always seen myself in the stands. I've never seen myself as a participant in what you're doing in this world. Would you help me to see that you want me to be diligent? Not just them, but me to serve, to participate in your work. Lord, you're big enough to use someone just like me. And I want to be diligent in what you've given me to do, what you have, have asked of me, what you want from me. And Father, we want to thank you for the power of, this, of these uh, verses this verse that has been so meaningful in my own life, I thank you for it, for the power of it, the truth it teaches us. Lord, would you use it in the lives of people who are hearing this today, that the word of truth will penetrate deep into our lives, that you'll change us where we need to be changed, that you'll help to correct our thinking, that we'll begin to see the truth, that we'll live the truth, that we'll love the truth, that we'll be motivated by the right motives, that we want to glorify your name. And Father, use us for your glory. And I want to thank you. You care about us and you love us and you empower us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.